If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Hebrews 13. Uh, We started this journey studying through the book of Hebrews in January. And so after almost six months this morning, we get to, to wrap up and conclude our study in this awesome book that has been a letter of encouragement for the people of God to be steadfast, to be anchored, to be sure in who Christ is and what he has done in the midst of uh, an uncertain season and an uncertain time. uh, This letter has been um, just so timely for us to be studying through. And you'll see there at the top of your note sheet that this morning, I want us to ask the question, what's next? As our author concludes this letter, he's going to prompt and encourage the the original readers to really be thinking about, man, what are you going to do with everything that I've shared with you? How are you going to take this and not let it be the end, but rather just the beginning? And so um, I wanted to give you guys a little bit of insight. Sometimes when you preach, it's some of the hardest parts of preaching can be coming up with like the funny stories or the illustrations or how do I, you know, just kind of connect and bring stuff out of the passage and into real life. Like that can, you can spend a lot of time. Sometimes that's really, really challenging. And then other times God just kind of gift wraps you like, here, share this story. And so this morning, by way of introduction, I wanted to share my last 24 hours with you. Um, so on weekends that I preach, you know, we have a teaching team here, so it's not always me, it's not always Jeff, like, and that's so good and so healthy for our body that you guys never have any clue what to expect when you come in here. That's really great for us. It keeps us guessing, keeps us excited for what God's going to do. Um, but so on weekends that I preach, I come up here on Saturday mornings, and this may sound weird for you guys, but I preach to the empty sanctuary and I practice and run through and, and, just, and just work on, God, what you've laid on my heart, how am I gonna actually articulate it? And so yesterday I came and I did that for a few hours. And then my, this weekend is my daughter's eighth birthday. And so she gets a birthday weekend because she's awesome. My wife gets a birthday week because she's awesomer. Um, but my daughter got a birthday weekend. And so we had her birthday on Friday and then a party last night with a bunch of her friends from school and some from here. And, um, and so we were cooking out. Uh, I was going to use charcoal like a man. Um, so he's not in here. He didn't, he, he, he's, he's outside saying not nice things about me now. Um, but so uh, after I practiced, I had to go to Sam's. I'm sure you guys were there because it felt like all of Loveland was at the Sam's Club because this is graduation weekend. And so lots of parties, lots of things going on. And so everybody was at Sam's as I was picking up hamburgers and hot dogs and charcoal and um, and just getting all the stuff for my daughter's birthday party, went home and barely had enough time to like unload the groceries uh, and then get the kids ready because my, uh, my son, we had a graduation party that we were gonna try to squeeze in before my son had a baseball game yesterday afternoon. Um, and on the way to the graduation party, we got a text from my son saying, hey, they just decided to move the game up 45 minutes. And so we're already halfway through the first inning. Don't bother coming. We're already up 12 nothing." And I'm like, so in order to do, like, I need you to give, I need to give you guys a little bit of insight into how our baseball season has gone so far. We've had several games canceled. My son is hiding his face. Um, we've had several games canceled. Those have been our best games. Um, the other games that we've played, our highest scoring game for our team was one. 
And I think it was because the pitcher hit four batters in a row. So like, we don't even get real credit for that run, but that run was my son. And so that's awesome. He wore it like a champ. Um, So for us, and we've been mercy ruled the other couple of games. So to get a text that, hey, they started early and we're up by a dozen runs. Like, I didn't think we'd get 12 runs all year. And now I've missed those runs. I missed my, the beginning part of my game. So I'm going to have to email my kids' coaches and be like, dude, you can't do that to us. Like, I want to be there. So we, we changed our plans. We went and sat and watched the next couple of hours as, our, as my son's team emerged victorious. So can we give him a golf clap? This is why preacher's kids end up the way they do because they get put on the spot like this. Um, And then we went to the graduation party. We hung out for a little while um, and then had to rush home to get the house ready because my daughter, she's, she's eight, but she's a planner. And so she had this beautiful vision of, dad, this is what the party's gonna look like. You're gonna string lights all in the backyard and all my friends are gonna come over and we're gonna play on the trampoline and on the slack line and, and we're gonna play tag. And then you're gonna be standing at the grill with the lights on flipping burgers while we're running in the yard. And then my friends are going to bring presents and we're going to open them and they're going to sing to me and we're going to have cake. And she had this whole thing planned out that I'm like, this is a recipe for disappointment. Like your, your, your expectations are so high and I'm your dad. So that's going to be rough. Um, and so we hurried to get the house ready and then all her friends showed up and some families from the church. And we just, we had a great time. It was really cold and rainy, but we had fun. The adults just kind of huddled together and shivered while the kids ran and played in the backyard. And uh, we ate hamburgers and hot dogs. And then uh, eight o'clock came and all the parents came and picked up kids and we shut the party down. And this has been a long and full day. And I was so excited because I'm like, it's over. And I, can, and I had a great plan. I'm like, I'm gonna put my pajamas on and I'm going to sit on the couch. And I was, it was getting done just in time for the Nuggets tip-off. So I was like, I'm going to watch Denver play the first game of the playoffs. I'm going to watch the first half. And then I'm going to go to bed. Because on Sundays that I preach, the day typically starts around 4 a.m. So I'm going to get a good night's sleep. And as we went downstairs, we were tucking our kids in. We were praying with our kids. Uh, one of my sons sleeps in the basement. Like, that's a good thing. There's a bedroom. It's not weird. Um, and we, I walked through, and we stepped on the carpet and heard squish, squish. Yes, enter into my pain. What I thought was the end of a very long, very good, very full day was really just the beginning. As we had to start pulling things out of crawl spaces and closets and discovered in my crawl space, standing water at about this thick, about this deep, and our carpets are completely soaked. My son, my, my, my poor youngest son, he just wants to go to bed and we're having to pull everything out of his closet and his closet carpet is completely soaked. And there's, we still don't know where the leak came from, but we had to clean it up. We had to get the shop vac out and shop vac and the, the carpet cleaner out and start carpet cleaning to try to get all this moisture and water out. And for the next three hours, my wife and I had to work to clean this up and get it to a spot where we're just okay for the evening. And we'll, we'll deal with the plumbing stuff, I would suppose, this afternoon. Um, and it was just the beginning of a, of a really hard next couple of hours as my plan got thrown out the window. And so um, I share that with you, one, so you can, like, if I say weird and, like, just bonkers things today. One, that's pretty typical. But two, it's because I didn't get a ton of sleep and I don't know what I'm going to say. So we're all in this together. Um, But I also see that this is what our author is doing. That is, he wraps up this letter saying, man, 
This is not the end. It's the beginning. God's going to do some really awesome stuff. And if you were with us last week, we ended with chapter, eight, or chapter 13, verses 18 and 19 and 20, where our author says, would you pray for us? And I asked you guys last week to spend time throughout the week just praying for your pastoral team, for, for us, for our wives, for our families. And I just want to say thank you. Like, it was a hard week. There was a lot that happened um, in the life of our church. And so uh, we definitely would continue to just covet those prayers and ask you continue to, to pray for us as we pray for for you as we're striving to follow Jesus together and be in this together. But so he's going to pivot now as he wraps up this letter of encouragement to the original audience with, he said, pray for us last week. And now in verse uh, 20, he's going to model prayer. And so let's dive in, in verse 20. He says, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant. Let's just pause there and unpack some things. As this morning, it hit me. That first word, we can just kind of jump past it, but how important this first word is. He says, now, right now, not at a future date, not sometime in the past. Remember, like those are important things. It's good to look ahead. It's good to look back. But he says, right now, may the God of peace. Again, let us remember that he's writing to an audience that is in a politically uncertain, economically unsure season where they feel like outcasts. They feel like they don't fit in culture anywhere. He's saying, may God be a God of peace, of rest, of comfort. Well, may God bring an ending to your strife. You don't have to be stressed. May God be a God of peace right now. As he's praying for them, he prays that God would be a God of peace who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus. I want us to see that he starts as he's preparing them for what's next. He starts with the good news of the gospel. He prays the gospel, that Jesus is the one who's brought again from the dead, that the resurrection, that every Sunday, every day is resurrection day, that the reason we have hope, the reason we can endure, the reason we gather together is because the tomb is empty, because we've been set free, because Jesus went to the cross on our behalf for our sin. He died in our place. He conquered sin. He conquered death. We get to gather. We get to work worship. We get to celebrate because Jesus is alive. This is not a once a year we gather to talk about the resurrection. We make much of the empty tomb all the time. And what I love here is he's again wrapping up this letter is he starts out praying the good news, remembering the resurrection that Jesus is our great Lord, but not just great Lord. Look at what, how he identifies Jesus. He says, the great shepherd of the sheep. Throughout the letter of Hebrews, we have seen our author make much of Jesus as a great high priest, as a, as, as a far better prophet, as a far better king. We've seen him be far better than Moses, far better than Abraham, far better than Melchizedek. And here, as he wraps up this letter, he reminds the people of God that he's also a great shepherd. This is very tender, very loving, very protective and providing for language that the job of a shepherd was not a glorious job. It's a messy, 
icky lifestyle job that you're, you're out in the fields. You've got to protect and provide for the sheep. You've got to pull them back because sheep are dumb and they're going to wander off and like go looking for wolves to devour them. And so you've got to really take a ton of time and effort and energy to protect them. And he's saying here, Jesus is the great shepherd. He protects, he provides, he, he watches over, he brings us back. Because when we read sheep, that's me, that's you. We're the sheep and Jesus is the great Shepherd. Again, I want us to see that as he's wrapping up here, he's reminding them again of the good news of the gospel. And then he says, by the blood of the eternal covenant, as he's praying for these believers, he reminds them, and we don't talk a lot about covenant language, but this is a a beautiful hope and promise that God is going to enter in and fix what is broken. And it's going to be by the blood of Jesus forever that it's not conditional on you or I, it's fulfilled in Christ, that Jesus's death, that his blood shed in our place for our sins brings us into a right and covenant promised relationship with God. This spurs us on to live differently. And he's praying for them the good news of the gospel. And if you, this morning, I would hope that as we look at how our author prays for the believers, that it would challenge our prayer lives. And how often do we spend just praying the gospel, reminding ourselves of the good news of Jesus, thinking about the covenant, thinking about him as a great shepherd, thinking about his blood spilled on our behalf, thinking about the fact that because the tomb is empty, we get to have hope. This is the good news and this is where he starts, but that's not where he stops as he then is going to encourage them into good work. He says, may, that, may the God of peace equip you with, every, with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. I want us to see two things here. He says, God wants to do good work and he wants to equip you for good work. And so I want us to hold intention that here, God is the one who does the equipping. This isn't you and I need to try harder. This is God equips us. He prepares us. He enables us and empowers us to do the things that are his will, but he's working in us. We desperately need him, but we also have responsibility. My favorite word is tension. And that I think we always need to be careful to not swing too far into, on, onto either extreme. And so we need to rest in, man, God, we need you to equip us, but we need to take action. We still work. God is equipping us for work, for his will. But look at what else he says. He's not just concerned about what our hands do, the things that you and I do, but about our hearts as well, that he's working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. That Jesus starts on the inside. He starts with your heart and out of his work in you changes your actions and your behaviors. That God is equipping you by changing who you are and that he is pleased with the work that is being done in your heart. I hope that encourages us today as we think about what is next, as we think about, man, as we wrap up Hebrews, this isn't the end, but it's just the beginning of what God is going to do in and through us, that as he works in, that, in us, man, that brings a smile to his face. He loves to change who you are and make you look more like Jesus. 
So he's preparing us for good works. He's equipping them. He's encouraging them that as you finish this letter, as you finish reading it, it's not the end, it's the beginning. I want you to focus on good work, both in your heart and with your hands. But then he also, it models for them good worship. He says, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That one of the things that never is going to go away, it's not just the covenant that Christ has brought us by his blood that is eternal, but he's gonna be glorified forever and ever and ever. This caused me this week to reflect a little bit on what heaven will be like one day as I thought into the future. And I think I was far too discipled by like Looney Tunes cartoons as a kid where I grew up thinking, man, heaven is gonna be like me on a cloud in a white robe with a harp sitting by myself. And this, like, you don't take your theology from Looney Tunes, first off. Um, But I'll be honest, like, if that's what heaven is, I don't know that I want to go. Like, that just doesn't sound like fun to me. That doesn't sound, like, that sounds a whole lot like the other place and a whole lot less like heaven. Um, If I'm just going to sit and play a harp, and and if you play the harp, like, that's an, it's a beautiful instrument. I just don't want to do it. Um, And so here, like, if I can just, like, this is something, I don't know what heaven's going to be like. We'll know when we get there. But something that this week has spurred me on to get excited about, we're gonna get to glorify Jesus forever and ever. I think heaven is gonna have campfires. And I think we're gonna get to sit around campfires and like, we'll all be there. If we're in Christ, like we will be there. And like Martin Luther's gonna be there and Moses is gonna be there and Paul is gonna be there and Charles Spurgeon is gonna be there. And and we're gonna swap stories around the campfire about how awesome Jesus was in this life. Without any of the pain, without any of the brokenness, without any of the sin, we're just gonna get to look back and see, man, Jesus, you were at work. Remember 2020? Man, Jesus was doing some really cool things that we might miss today, but we're gonna see with untainted vision. And it's gonna be so awesome to sit around and glorify Jesus as we swap stories and remember all that Jesus has been up to. And that's gonna, that's gonna glorify him. That's gonna magnify him. That's gonna bring him glory as we remember all the things that God has been doing. And so he wants to put on display here this, this picture of worship that as you, spur, as, as you are challenged to work and you think about what's next, man, don't lose sight of this is through Jesus and it's for his glory. And the work that you start today echoes into eternity, that your good work carries over into good worship that will last forever and ever and ever. But that's not, I love when I hear the kids scream. That's awesome. Um, But he doesn't stop there. As the prayer draws to a close, now he's going to encourage them as they're thinking about what's next. They're finishing reading this letter. We're finishing studying this letter. He's going to encourage them with good care and good counsel. In verse 22, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. Let's just pause there. He says, I appeal to you. He's begging them. He's urging them. Brothers, he uses family language. Would you bear with, would you endure my word of encouragement, my words of warning, my words of action? Would you not give up as you wrap up reading and studying this letter? Let this not be the end, but take what you have read and now live differently. This isn't the end. It's the beginning of what God wants to do in and through you. 
And so this morning, here's, here's what I did this week. I went back and I reread he- Hebrews several times this week. And I just pulled out, all of God's word is living and active. We're gonna read that here in a second. All of it is profitable. But I just pulled out verses that have really meant a lot to me or just been powerful to me over these past six months as, we, as we've studied through Hebrews. And so I thought it would be helpful to recap some of the care and counsel that our author has given, my iPad just shut off, um, the audience. And so I'm just, this is gonna be like drinking from a fire hose. We're gonna rapid fire through a ton of verses that for me have been an encouragement and that I'm praying, Lord, let me press into these. As we wrap up, this isn't the end, it's the beginning. Let me not move on and just be like, oh, we checked off. Yep, we've studied through Hebrews, good. What's next? But rather, this would be something that would stick with us and transform us. And so let's just go back to the very beginning. This has been the anthem verse for me throughout Hebrews. Hebrews chapter one, verse three. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That right out of the gate, man, what a, what a packed sentence of power and truth, the gospel on display that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, that he shines the exact image of God's nature, that he came to make purification for our sins, that he's holding the universe by his word and he is seated as a ruling and reigning king. Um, Man, what a great verse. Hebrews 2 verse 8, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted, that Jesus suffered and in his suffering, he now enters into our temptation. I love that this verse doesn't say if you're tempted, but when, that there is a, a, an acknowledgement that you and I are in a battle. We are in a struggle and we are going to be tempted and Jesus has our back. Hebrews three fourteen. for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end that you and I get to partner with Jesus. And that partnering with Jesus gives us the confidence to hold firm, to, to not give up, to endure. Uh, Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, that God's word is powerful and it should be present in our lives, that it is able to change us and transform us. Hebrews 4.16, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need, that we don't have to tiptoe into God's presence, but we can boldly enter in that he wants us that because of Christ's death in our place for our sin, we belong in God's presence and in his presence, we find grace and mercy, which our souls so desperately need. Hebrews six ten: for God is not unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do, that your work matters to God. When you love others, when you care for others, when you enter in with other people, God sees that and he acknowledges that, that we have a God who sees us and knows us. Hebrews seven twenty five. consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them, that no one in this room has out the savior this morning that Jesus is able to save completely and eternally and forever all who would draw near. 
that, that God is able and he makes intercession for us. Hebrews 9, 24, for Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true thing, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf, that right now, today, Jesus is standing in the heavens on our behalf that he is interceding for us, that he is in the presence of God advocating for you and for I, that he has entered into the place that we couldn't go and he's saying, come and follow me. Hebrews 10, 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water that because of Christ, we can be made clean that there is redemption, there is hope, there is, there is a purifying that can take place because of what Jesus did. Hebrews 10, 39, this, this is probably my second favorite of all of the verses that I've read. Um, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. This charge that we're not gonna give up, that we're gonna make it to the end, that our faith is gonna grow, our souls are gonna be spared, that we are not gonna be destroyed. Hebrews eleven six. without faith, it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That faith is not an option or an afterthought, but rather faith is a way that we get to make God smile. Our journey with Jesus starts with faith. We grow by faith. We're sanctified by faith. And one day our faith is perfected when we stand before our King Hebrews 12, one and two, probably some of the more famous verses in Hebrews. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings too closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, that you and I stand on the shoulders of faithful men and women, and that it's our turn to run the race, that we get to endure and we get to follow the model of endurance that Jesus went before us, that he laid his life down, he endured the cross and is now seated ruling and reigning. Uh, Hebrews 12, 28 through 29. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. That you and I are the recipients of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And this kingdom results in us worshiping Jesus, uh, being in awe of Jesus and him entering into our life. And this is what we looked at last week, that he comes in and he purifies us. He burns out anything that is unholy and he makes us look more like Jesus because he is a consuming fire. And then Hebrews 13, 15, through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name that we are not to just read this letter and move on, but rather put things that we have learned into practice. And so as we start to ask ourselves the question, Lord, what's next for us? Here's my encouragement for you. I would encourage you this week to go back and reread through Hebrews. We spent six months, almost six months studying this book. And as verses jump out at you, how can you prayerfully and faithfully say, I want to endure in this. And so I'm going to journal through it. I'm going to pray through it. I'm going to put this on my fridge. I don't, I don't want this to just be something we did and then we move on from, but Lord, where do you want to grow me? Where do you want to prepare me? Where do you want to equip and empower me to bear with these holy words, this truth that you have gone to great lengths 
to preserve. And then what we're going to see is he's going to transition and really seek to encourage and counsel the believers. Verse 23, he said, you should know that our brother Timothy has been released with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. So yesterday was a long day and it was a really good day up until the, the end And it would be so easy this morning to just get up and grumble and complain at the plumbing problems in my house and miss out on the fact that yesterday we got to celebrate my daughter. My son got a win. Like there was, there was lots of good things. I got to go be a part or got, got to go celebrate uh, one of our students that's graduated from high school and he's got a plan and is ready and excited for what God's going to do next in his life and his story. Like I could miss out on all of that because man, this was really hard. The day ended really hard. Here's what I see is as we're drawing this letter to a close, he wants to remind the audience, man, God's still doing good things. Timothy was in prison for his faith, for being a church leader, and he's been released. And then I'm gonna get to share with you uh, by by spending time with him, I'm gonna be spending time with you. And so there's this community, man, God is still doing good things. Yes, life is hard. Yes, there's painful moments. Yes, there's suffering. Yes, there's a need for God to redeem and restore. But man, let's not miss out on the good things. Let's not miss out on what God is doing. He wants to remind them and counsel them, even though it's hard. Man, Timothy has been released. There's good things that God is doing. Maybe this week we need to pause and just say, God, where are you doing great stuff right now? And let us not focus on the bad, but let us see some of the good. Even in a hard and uncertain season, let us celebrate the good things that you're doing them doing. He counsels them and then he's gonna remind them that they're not alone in verse 24 as we draw this letter to a close. He says, greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. He says, man, you guys have leaders. You guys have each other. Not only that, you have other believers in other places who are for you and believe in you and want to welcome you and encourage you. And so you're not in this alone. We're in this together. And, you know, I, one of the stories that really God has kind of weaved through our church is that like we have a lot of us in this room that have experienced some pretty significant church hurt. You've been wounded by leaders. You've been wounded by pastors. Um, and that's just kind of Loveland's story. I've shared that with you guys before. Like that's something I'm just really confident in is like that. That's just, and I'd love to see that narrative change. But this morning, what I wanted to do is it's so easy to just get focused on us and just think about, man, God, what are you doing at redemption? Let's celebrate what God is doing at redemption. And let's talk about what God is doing at redemption. But um, I, I love that in our city, just in Loveland, like we are not alone. There are other churches that love Jesus and want to put him on display. And we may not see eye to eye with them on absolutely everything, but if I can be honest, like I disagree with myself most of the time. And so to align fully with like other churches, that's just never going to happen. And I I would love to see us, and I'm praying that Lord in the future, could we link arms with other brothers and sisters, other churches in this city that want to strive to be a bright and shining light to put the glory of God on display in our city. 
And so here's what I want to do this morning. I want to pray for two churches in our city that I have a relationship with the, with the two pastors. One is Bentry in North, Northwest Loveland. Um, their pastor is Paul Trimble. He's a great man. I, I, I really appreciate and have been encouraged by him. And, um, and they've, they've persevered through this last year and um, have had struggles and have hardships as all local churches and people and all of us have. Um, but they have, they, they have really strived to, to do a great job loving people well. And so I want to pray, pray for Paul and for Bentry um, and then Austin Dykeman, who leads Good Shepherd in North Loveland as well. Um, I, I just, I really respect him. And he's a, a younger leader kind of in, in a leadership transition season. And man, they have just really sought to, to love and, and provide community and hope and prayer. And um, I just really respect both of these men and the churches. Again, we may not align on everything, but, but they love Jesus. And I, would, I want us to be more about building bridges than building walls. So I just wanna take a few moments and, and remember that we're not in this fight for Loveland alone, that God has blessed us in this city with other churches. And that's not the end. Like those are just two that came to my mind that this morning I wanted to pray for. And so God has blessed us in this city with other churches that are fighting to do what we would want to do. And so I just want to pray for them.